listening to the Wrong Side of the Red Line Dallas Stars podcast. Here is your host, Sean Shapiro. And here we go. We are on the first step of, uh, I guess, this podcast. And I'm here with Ryan Sokoviak, which I think he's pretty proud I can pronounce his last name, I think. You're one of is that the, right? You're one of like seven people in the United States who can. Well, I mean... In all fairness, it took me 15 times probably to get it right. I mean, the question is, our 16th, 16th take to open the episode? The, the question is, can you spell it? I can, but I'm not going to. Okay, fair point. Fair enough. Anywho, so we are, this is a, uh, basically, the as the intro said, a uh, Dallas Stars podcast where Ryan and I, even though Ryan didn't get into the intro for some reason, <laughs> yeah, but, uh, I wasn't the one that made it. I'll, that's his voice. Uh, somehow I became the host. Um, we're talking Dallas Stars hockey, and the season starts uh, two di- two nights from now. It's Tuesday, and uh, Dallas opens Thursday night with against the Anaheim Ducks. And it's been a uh, long off season, huh, Ryan? Yeah, a lot longer than I think a lot of Dallas fans would have liked. Probably a lot of Dallas fans are probably Texas football fans too. So at least they have the Cowboys that have been keeping them uh, keeping them busy for the last couple of weeks now. But yes, here we are, and you're right, it has been long, the summer dragged on, but I feel like we're all just about ready for this to get going. Well, and for Dallas, it's a season that starts this Thursday after after the World Cup, um, which Dallas probably, where Dallas management and fans probably would have been happier just having every single player pass on going to the World Cup after the injuries there. Um, Stars ended up recovering well enough, but still are still probably going to miss uh, Alish Hemsky for Thursday night after his injury um, that happened in the World Cup. But obviously, doesn't help when Tyler Sagan gets injured in a pre-tournament game for pre-tournament exhibition game and didn't skate in any preseason games. And Braddock Fox dealt with concussion, and he's he's now healthy and he'll play. But overall, I think he could probably it's probably fair to say and that Dallas was almost the biggest loser in the World Cup as far as uh, team injuries go and just uh, setting things back for the NHL season. Yeah, you're right about that. And there's probably a good portion of fans who are breathe, not breathing sighs of relief but are secretly a little happy that Jamie Benn got hurt a couple of weeks before the tournament and couldn't play so that way he would be healthy and ready to go for the season and they didn't have to worry about losing him as well because with everyone that who got dinged up during the tournament. I mean, there are guys who are not necessarily indispensable. If you lose a guy like Jamie Benn before the season even starts, then you're already significantly behind the eight ball, especially in a super difficult central division. Well, and, you, and I think the biggest, I think it shows a lot. It's You can say it's an easy decision, but it's never an easy decision for to not represent your country. Um, Especially for a guy like Jamie Ben, who I think you could really say he's he really got that Sochi bump from 2014 since the um, since the 2014 Olympics in Sochi, and he scored the, uh, the game-winning goal. Uh, I believe that was the semifinal or the quarterfinal against the U.S. Um, he's been one of the highest scorers in the league. Won an Art Ross Trophy. Was a finalist for an MVP. Um, so for it's definitely not an easy thing to pass on playing for your country, but I think if you're looking at it from a Dallas perspective, it says a lot about what 
he's committed to with this team and what the uh, and kind of the dedication there. Um, it's because obviously, if Jamie if Jamie Jamie Ben's the only person who knows how his actual how his a core injured core muscle actually felt, he could have easily said, "I'm going to try and play through it." Um, now, I think the dedication there is something Dallas fans have to be happy about that he's willing to put potential. He could have won. A, he could have won. He would have won a World Cup. Canada win, still wins the World Cup if Jamie Ben plays, um, but decided to put that off to play and get ready for the NHL season a little bit more to uh, full, the fullest extent. And it's kind of obviously speculation on, would be speculation on anyone's part, but how much of that goes into the sour ending to last season? You know, you're a game or two away. I don't even remember if it was game six or game seven that they ended up. Game seven. Oh, game seven, that's right. How could I forget that first period? <laughs> But um, how much of that goes into that? You know, you can ar- you can argue whether or not if Sagan was in the lineup for that entire time that they probably might have would have gotten past St. Louis. But bowing out is, I think, a lot earlier than they obviously intended to bow out. And you know, you're coming into the season, you want to be at your best because, you know, especially for a team that's had as little success as they have had since 2007 when they went to the last time they went to the conference finals. You you get close. You get that's as close as obviously they've been since then, and only the second time since then that they've been to the playoffs. So you know you get that taste again in your mouth, and you know, you know, how badly it sucks to lose in a game seven in the playoffs. And you know, obviously, you know, representing your country is always for an athlete. I'm sure the highest honor that you could be asked to do. But how much? I mean, it. It's not like it was the Olympics or anything like that, and you could argue the merits of this year's World Cup and whether or not it was a worthwhile endeavor to get involved in, which, I mean, that's we're not going to get into that. We could probably talk for two hours about that. But half of me wonders how much the way that last season ended kind of played into Jamie's decision to pass on it and make sure he was ready to go for the season. Well, and I think from a star's perspective, too, and obviously it's part of the player's decision, but I think from the star's perspective, too, you've got a way to, you got a way to uh, sour taste from how to deal with injuries from the playoffs uh, last year. By having Sagan play, who knows, maybe, maybe Sagan goes and he doesn't play that, uh, maybe he doesn't play the one game against Minnesota and try and push it to get back, maybe he's ready for the second. That's true. So you already have so you already have that taste in your mouth of what happens when you rush things and get things back, which is something that you have to wonder if the stars kept in mind for uh, for this week opening night. Tyler Sagan obviously didn't play at all in the preseason after suffering the, uh, the hairline fracture in his heel, and but plan is for still for him to play Thursday night, and maybe maybe that's been enough patience. Who knows? But I think the stars have kind of been a real life example of recently and unfortunately for them that they're learning how you have to deal with injuries, not just from going back to the playoffs to now where we have you've got Dallas's Cody Eakin out until around middle of November with a knee injury. You've got Matias Yanmark out with something I'm glad I'm a writer because I'm not gonna be able to pronounce it right, right now. <laughs> um, it's I mean Let me tell you a story about the Matias Yanmark injury. I don't know okay. <laughs> about just learning about the Matias Yanmark injury. So, you know, it's so he was supposed to play in a preseason game that Wednesday night. 
Um, and he practiced that day, and he left the ice, but it didn't didn't look like anything bad. He left the ice early, just while other guys left the ice early. And then he wasn't on the trip that night and didn't play. The next day we get told, next day we get told by Lindy Ruff that there, there is, there'll be an update and will be assessed tomorrow. And then later that day we get an email saying, hey, the media gets an e- media members get an email saying, hey, you should show up uh, a little bit early for practice because Jim Jim Neal is going to give you an update on injury. Well, Jim doesn't give Jim Neal doesn't give updates on week to week, day to day, twisted ankles, concussions, things like that. It's right. if Jim, if Jim's if we're meet, if he's meeting with us, it's going to be about the, it's it's going to be a big deal. And so it was uh, the next day we get to the rink. And there's the, and the night before, and the day before after practice, we saw Yan Mark walking around with crutches, and uh, walking 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 around on crutches is also not a good sign. And then when Jim Hill walks in to uh, to talk to the media to discuss the injury, and he's got a legal pad, Ooh. that yellow yellow legal pad that's filled with notes all the way down, and he's looking at that before he even starts to talk and read that. That's when you knew the injury was bad, and this wasn't the run of the mill. Even it wasn't the run of the mill. Well, it's an ACL or an MCL or, or something broken because doesn't need a yellow legal pad to go through that. No. All of a sudden, I'm learning new vocabulary words. I'm spending too much time on Wikipedia, and uh, and it's it's a it's a. I'm sure we can put the name in the description here. It's something osteo. Can you can you pronounce it? I don't. I'd have to look at it again, but I took a I took a medical terminology class this summer, and just based on that, I kind of could give you a rough definition of what I thought that it would be. And then I Googled it, and it said there's a lack of blood flow to a certain area of the bone, and the bone becomes necrotic. And that's when I that was kind of my uh, oh god, that sounds that doesn't sound like something I would ever want to deal with. Ever. Yeah, basically, basically part of his knee just fell out and had to be reattached. Yeah, and. It's- for a young player, it sucks because it's something that it's it's a genetic thing, and it's something where it could have happened. From my understanding of it, while it did happen, while that actual that actual event that they had to have that they had the surgery on to reattach it, it could have happened when he was walking home, walking into his apartment the very next day. Right. So it's it's uh, that's an that's if you talk about what uh, what's going to test the stars. And I think that's an injury that, if you pay attention to Dallas, it's it'll have a big impact. Um, I don't think people who across the league realize how big of a role Yanmark played on this team last year. Uh, I think it's it's an injury where he's a younger guy who came out of nowhere last year. He was supposed to play in Sweden last year, but mm-hmm. until came out of the Traverse City tournament and out of training camp and won that roster spot, and now he's. He was supposed to step into a bigger role this year, and I thought he was. And last year, he, he did. He did a. He was a big part of that line with with uh, playing with Spezza quite a bit. He could also play center, and that's a bigger loss than a lot of the people around the league or a lot of fans probably realize if you haven't paid that much attention to Dallas. Right, because if you're just looking at strictly from a statistical point of view, nothing about he started off very well last year in terms of point production and kind of got a little colder as the season went along but he's a guy that definitely epitomizes what this team has been trying to do the last couple of years and that's he's just he's a fast guy he goes up and down the ice there's I don't want to say not a lot of flair to his game but he's very 
straight line. He has great straight line speed. He's a hard four checker. He gets back on the back check. It's, I mean, he's the quintessential second slash third line winger that any team would love to have in their lineup just because of all the little things that he does well. And as you mentioned, we mentioned, you know, he's a guy who can put the puck in the net. He's a guy who can find his teammates so they can put the puck in the net. So when you look at a guy like that, I mean, obviously it's not on the same level of losing a top line winger, but when you're looking at down the lineup players, he was, he's definitely one of the more prominent, more notable, more, important guys in this lineup last year. And and with Dallas, you take a look at them, and it's kind of where the entire league's going anyway, kind of that split between, and, and there, there still is a split. People talk about, people all, often talk about a top six and a top, a top six and bottom six roles for forwards in the NHL, and that's still, to an extent, that's still real in the NHL, but it's not the divide it was 10, 15 years ago, where your top six guys, where, where your top six guys scored your points, and if your bottom six guys scored, that was that was gravy. It's it, it's become the game's kind of developed, and it's a trend that Dallas is on the forefront of, where you've got a top, you could argue it's a top nine or a top twelve, where you expect all four lines to play fast, put the puck in, even the stars, even the stars. Uh, De facto third line um, from the playoffs. You look at that uh, Emsky uh, Fox Rousseau line from the playoffs last year. That's not. It's a, it's a checking line, in the extent where there are two check two guys from the Czech Republic on it. But <laughs> it's also a uh, it, it's also a line that put the puck in the net a couple times. And so it's. I, I think that's something that Yanmark kind of Yanmark winning the job last year come in was just kind of proof of that too. I think it was just kind of proof of that system where a guy, Swedish young guy coming over from Europe who hasn't ever played in North America, play fast and play quick. Maybe if we're talking 97, 98, 20 years ago, or even 2000 or even in before the 2004, 2005 lockout, he doesn't win a roster spot because that roster spot is still safe for the guy who is, can, is either that old, school grinder or enforcer. The, yeah, the uh, the early 2000s grumpy old medline with uh, Mike Keene, Kirk Muller. But yeah, it's, it also goes along with, I think, the NHL has become such a matchup-driven league that it's almost an anomaly now that you see a team skate six best forwards on the same two lines together. You know, there's there's so much intergame line changing that it's I mean it's it's almost a disadvantage to kind of have just those two straight scoring lines you need to roll four lines who are able to produce offense because you know if you look I mean Chicago is a perfect example I mean if you're sitting here playing NHL 17 you're going to put Jonathan Taze and Patrick Kane on the same line but those are two guys I don't think have that have consistently skated on the same line together in years because it's more advantageous as a coach to have your two best players playing away from each other. Now, in Dallas's case with Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan, it works because even if you're trying to match up against them, more often than not, they're going to get you. But there's going to be those where, and there's not enough true number one defensemen, shut down defensemen in this league who can consistently shut that down. But, you know, when you have the occasion when you're playing a guy, a team like Nashville last year, when you're going out against Shea Weber and Roman Yossi, where it's 
they can't be they you know they're going to play 25 30 minutes a game but they can't be on the ice against all of your top players and that's where it comes into play having a second and third or a fourth scoring line so it balances it out and it forces the other team to make a tough de- decision on who they're going to choose to shut down and that's kind of where Yanmark was able to make his mark I like that Yanmark makes his mark well done well done <laughs> <laughs> NHL.com pun headlines. Oh, there'll be many puns. Don't worry. <laughs> I wouldn't we can expect, promise puns on this podcast. I wouldn't expect anything less. Well, the Enmark the injury obviously creates an interesting thing for Dallas. Um, it kind of it leads to the obviously Dallas doesn't sign Korpakowski, doesn't sign Lord Korpakowski uh, yesterday without the Yanmark and the Eakin injury. Um, they, they probably, certainly with the Yanmark injury. Um, the Eakin injury they probably live with uh, through early November because I think they have enough, they, Dallas has enough guys who can kind of fill that center role, who can mm-hmm. fill that center role um, while he's out. I think I think Devin Shore is probably going to open the open the season on the fourth line Um for Dallas, and he and he can fill that role. I know he's coming off a shoulder injury, but having seen him up close in the AHL, and seen, uh, saw him playing in Traverse City before he hurt his ankle again, and then missed a week, and then he looked, but then he looked good playing against the Kings in Vegas the other night. I think he can fill fill that role. But the Yanmark injury is the only reason Dallas signs Korpakowski because the Stars needed, as, as I said, they need more forward depth, and when there's when there's less, uh, it, I think. When they don't have, they have a lot of guys that play that same style, and I think kind of the ideology, whether you agree with it or not, with getting Korpakowski, was getting a guy who does have a little bit of those old school elements of killing penalties, being more defensive minded, um, and and can kind of be a little bit one of those guys you can use in matchups against another team's top line. I think whether you agree with it or not, whether they should have signed him or not, that's kind. That's the mindset that they obviously had in mind when they signed him. Right, and he's a guy who, you know, you're never going to confuse him with an elite offensive producer, but he's a guy who's put up points in the NHL at a clip that you would expect for a guy that, like you said, that they the role that they brought him in for. But, I mean, at the same time, it's, you know, it is what it is. He's going to be a guy that fills the role nicely, as you said, that they're kind of bringing him in for. And you're right, right now with missing those two guys, plus with uh, Michushkin leaving in the offseason, that's three forwards that everyone expected would be on the opening night roster back in April who aren't going to be with the team this year. So you have to go out and fill that void somehow. And sometimes, you know, especially, you know, when you lose a guy, as close to training camp as they did with the Anmark or even in training camp, you kind of have to sometimes go outside the organization to make that happen. Well, and I think it does say, it says something too about kind of how close you can say all you want. Uh, one of the, one of the stars, one of Jim Nill's big sayings, and he talks about prospects coming back up, coming up and working their way in. This goes back to his days in Detroit is, they love to see prospects overripe. They love to see guys. They love, that's the word they love to use: overripe, and where they're gonna they're gonna play in the AHL, and they're going to play to the point where they're going to be beyond ready when they came up. And so the thing about the Korpakowski signing, just it tells you what it tells you is that that depth is not ripe enough. 
because even though Jamel we Jamel Smith was a was the one of the big uh, storylines at a training camp. Everyone was impressed with him. He stayed in training camp much longer than than was expected. And you look at a uh, a Matty Stransky who was supposed who was uh, who had a bunch who had a, who had a very decent who had a pretty good training camp. Uh, but by signing Korpakoski and saying we need new need more depth is saying that those guys are not overripe enough for lack of a better word, to be one injury away from playing right now. Because if you, you look at the Stars' overall forward depth, you look at the fact where and injuries happen in hockey. That's mm-hmm. it's a fact. It's a fact of the sport. But right now they've got the 13 forwards they have for the roster, which was finalized today. It'll probably jump to 14. They'll have to make a decision sometime within a week or two, depending on once Hemsky is back. But they'll be up to 14. And then Eakin's back in November. That means... Um, that means he, you're at six. You're at 16 forwards then who are on this roster between the between the injured reserve and the uh, and the active roster. So 16, that that's your top 16. And Yanmark, if you if you want to throw him in there and put him in as 17, he's in there. But for lack of a better word, we can say you can you can guess he's out for the season. And then if he plays, it's you're playing with house money. Right. Uh, so what does that say? That you have six, they have sixteen, they have sixteen guys, and you have to go get Korpakoski. That says that the Jamel Smiths, the Brendan Ranfords, the Maddie Stranskys, they're they may be close, and they may be it may be right to say they're overripe and they're almost there, but they're not there enough to not necessitate this signing. Which I'm not sure whether that speaks more to their development or what Dallas is trying or what Dallas views Korpakoski can bring in. Right, and maybe it's. You know, it's something too where if you're looking, if it's theoretic, hypothetically December or January right now, if maybe this would be approached differently. But you know, if you're starting the season and you have a veteran guy out there who you can get on it on the cheap, like they did Korpakoski, it almost makes more sense to go that way. So it's a guy you know what you're getting with, as opposed to maybe guys who you, you mentioned Stransky and Smith, guys who are decent prospects but sort of on the lower tier of what they've been expected to do or what they've been expected to become and it's you know you can and then you look at I mean defensively too with all the young guys that they're trying to break in on the blue line this year it becomes a question of you know is bringing these does these bringing these guys in make sense are we too young I don't know if that's something that crosses their mind but you know what I mean they're they're yeah they chose to go young on defense so you kind of overcompensate for it a little bit by trying not to go as young as maybe you can at forward. Well, my bigger thing, in my opinion, frankly, I, I the Korpakoski signing and how how it plays out. I think it's not, I think it's a nice signing right now. I think for opening night, and if you're looking short term, I think it's a nice signing for right now. I think it adds more of that internal competition. Where I don't like it is I don't like it in mid middle of November when Cody Eakin is theoretically healthy. And all of a sudden, if you're keeping him on the roster over a guy like a Devin Shore or a guy like a uh, like a, a Brett Rich, now if they if they don't if they lose their job and they play their way to the AHL, fine. But mm-hmm. the concept of you're putting yourself in that decision where come November when you are getting healthy, a little bit healthier, how do you how do you treat those younger guys? So, is it a good short-term spending? Of course. Now they have. They have options on opening night. They've got 14 forwards they can choose from on opening night. And 
they and when they play the Ducks, they'll be better. This in two nights from now, they'll be better. But not a fan of what this signing looks like in middle of November, as you have uh, as you have to make a decision where Devin, where you may have to make a decision. Okay, well, we may have to say send down Devin Shore or Brett Ritchie or a Curtis McKenzie just because we have this Corpacoska we both know is not going to go to the AHL. He right. wasn't signed to play in the AHL. So all of a sudden it becomes the point where they you're looking at sending one of those guys down for playing time to keep playing in the AHL when they could have grown into that role with the NHL team. And that's, personally, that's where I don't like the signing because I don't like what it does long-term. That's a fair point. And I mean... Who's to say that, you know, you're, we're sitting here in a month and a half and Devin Shore, Brett Ritchie, Curtis McKenzie, all these guys are playing well at the NHL level. And maybe Korpikoski's playing as well as they are. Maybe he's playing a little better, a little bit worse. But I, I definitely feel like this team is at the point that, I mean, when you go to that over, when you bring back that overripe thing, I guess none of that would surprise me. But I, maybe it's naivety on my part. I'm, kind of choosing to believe that if all things are being equal, maybe they, you know, Eakin comes back, Hemsky comes back, they just choose, okay, Korpakoski, you know, you helped us out for a month and a half, but we like these guys better, so we're going to waive you, and if you don't want to go to the AHL, then best of luck to you. I don't know what, I don't know if that's a realistic thing, or, I mean, I guess time will tell, but... I don't. I don't think that's realistic. I don't think you sign a guy to a million dollar contract to a one year, one million dollar deal, and then with with any thought of waiving him after a month and a half. See, that's fair. And I mean, I I appreciate that point of view. That you know, if it's this is in a month and a half going to cost a young guy a job, then you know it's something that can be debated and it's worthwhileness. But if they felt that it was something that they needed for the next month and a half, then I guess so be it. And I mean, it's. I understand, and, and and there is to give credence to your point. There is a need for a fast start. There's always a there's always a reason for a fast start. But there's there's the old cliche in the NHL is that if you take a look at the standings around Thanksgiving, the teams in the playoff race around Thanksgiving, about ninety percent of the time, that's going to be the playoff teams mm-hmm. come April. Yeah. So. Maybe even more so. Maybe even more so this year with the World Cup and the condensed schedule. Maybe even more so, where teams are either going to come out like fire out of the gate and really build on that, and maybe some teams are going to get things could snowball even worse for some other teams with with all of the uh, with, with with how condensed the schedule is in November. So, to give credence to your point, I do see that where you have having the fast start is here, and now does this signing help with that? I guess we'll be able to have a better answer to that question in a. In about, in about six weeks. Yeah, and I mean, playing in the toughest division, arguably in the NHL, certainly doesn't help that. Can't find, oh, yeah, yourself, sure. can't find yourself behind the eight ball in the Central Division this year. Especially when you're sharing a division with the, uh, the preseason champion Colorado Avalanche. Yeah. I, you know what? I think they'll be better this year, now that their offensive strategy isn't just, let's get 16 shots and hope four of them go in the net. There are a lot more. So I've seen him play. I saw him play twice in preseason, and I actually really like uh, Jared Bednar as a coach. He, yeah, everything I've read about him is he's encouraging them to play at a high, 
at a high rate of speed, kind of similar to what Dallas does. And, I mean, that's a nice change of pace for them, obviously. And they're, and they're much better structured, too. You take a look at what they – there's uh, – if you, if you watch them and focus on Colorado in their own defensive zone, it's uh, the structure's a lot better, a lot better from both limiting the quality shots and both – transitioning defense to offense. That structure looks a lot better than it did under uh, under Patrick Waugh. And I know it's just preseason, so I could I, this could be all BS, and I could look like a, a <laughs> I, could look, I could look like an I, I could look like an idiot in two weeks from now. But from seeing that and having seen the uh, the Lake Erie Monsters, or I guess they're now technically the Cleveland Monsters that he coached mm-hmm. last year, um, it's it's a good it's a good. I think that team's going to be better. Um, this division in all overall is tough. I mean, I think. Nashville's going to be better this year. Yes. You have Minnesota. Minnesota should be a little bit better. Minnesota just got faster today yeah. when they uh, when they claimed Polkinen from uh, Detroit. They, I mean, they have the pieces. They just didn't utilize them that well last year. And, I mean, you bring in a guy like Bruce Boudreaux who's going to get them playing a lot faster. Well, and, and also everyone, everyone needs to remember, too, that Minnesota team that took Dallas six games last year, they didn't play with Zach Parise. That's the other thing that right. you need to. If you take every, if you want to take everything with a grain of salt, and you just want to, and now Dallas only had Tyler Sagan for one game in that series. If you want to say one washes the other, fine. But you still need to point out that that Minnesota team still went six games with an interim coach without Zach Parise, and still took Dallas six games last year. Part of me wonders what is left of Zach Parisi because he, I mean, he's 31 now. Herniated discs are no joke. If you don't have that surgically repaired, that's, I mean, just asking for it to get messed up again. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure he has a lot left in the tank, but that's always, those are tricky injuries. But I mean, no, you're right. They're, they have a lot of great pieces on that team. They have a lot of good forwards on that team. And I mean, Devin Dubnik, if he's playing right, he's one of the, better goalies in the NHL. So, I mean, they're obvious they're a team that should theoretically be improved on what they were last year, and that was already pretty good last year. Yeah, it's, it'll, it, the division's good. Um, division's good, and they play, and, they'll, and it's a condensed schedule. So, it's a tough stretch. It's uh, in November, and I don't know, I don't have the breakdown in front of me of how many divisional teams they play in November, but I just know in November, I think it's something 14 or 15 games in the month of November. So you're playing almost every other day, mm-hmm. which, which in a perfect segue takes us to the point of that's something Dallas has said may be a reason they continue to carry eight defensemen like they are going to carry into Thursday night. Oh, brother. Let, don't get me started on this. Let's do it. Eight defensemen. I mean... Ryan's going go. If you have a conceived plan to get all eight of these guys into the lineup, then fine. That's perfectly acceptable to do. But, I mean, in the, you're condemning two guys to the bench every night, which, if we're being completely realistic right now, four of those guys, four of these guys are never, ever, ever going to sit. You're, I think, stop me if I'm wrong here. I think it's fair to say. Go ahead. Stop me if I'm wrong here, but if you're constructing the top four of this defense on paper right now, it's going to be some combination of John Klingberg, Dan Hamhuis, Johnny Oduya, and Stephen Johns. And, and I think you're, it's exactly the way you put it, too. I think you go if you go left-right, and especially, and you have to remember, too, that this is 
Lindy Ruff's team who loves the left-right matchup, and it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, so you're going to have Ham. You're probably going to have Ham Hayslingberg mm-hmm. and Oduya Johns. But Oduya Johns were very. They played very well together in the playoffs last year. So I see no reason to separate that. Right. So it leaves it leaves two spots for four guys mm-hmm. when you when you head into the season with eight. Yes. And this this was the point that I brought up to you on Twitter. And this, I'm just going to lay it out here right now. Everyone, everyone in the sis in the organ within the organ organization seems to believe that Essel Lindell is a future top four defenseman, and I won't argue with that because he, from what I have seen of him, he looks like he has that future makeup right there. He is, however, the only guy on this team that you can send through to the minor leagues without going through waivers. Mm-hmm. So, my one question would be. If this is a guy that you don't plan to have in the lineup every single night, playing top four minutes, wouldn't it make more sense to send him to the AHL where he'll be playing top two minutes every single night, and you'll be able to rotate in one of, or, you know, three of Jordy Ben, Jamie Alexiak, and Patrick Nemeth? I, I personally feel like that way makes more sense, especially after you look at last year, which essentially became a year of wasted development for both Alexiak and Nemeth because they were stapled to the press box for 65 were, games. They were, and then and then they were pushed back further. Well, they didn't move at all when the uh, Stars made probably a trade with revisionist history they would never make again for <laughs> Chris Russell. No. Thank, so. thank God he got signed. I was honestly kind of starting to feel bad for him. Well, I felt... Uh, it was funny. I put a uh, I put a poll out on Twitter. Of course, it's funny. I like to I like to pretend I'm funny. Um, <laughs> I put a poll out on Twitter like around like August first or fifteenth, August first or second, like that first week of August, just thinking I was funny. And I put out a, a poll that said like, "What happens first, the World Cup of Hockey, or Chris Russell gets signed?" Oh, and I think fifty five percent of the people said World Cup of Hockey, thinking they were funny. Then. Not only did the World Cup of Hockey happen, it ended. It ended. And Chris Russell still wasn't signed, and then he signed with and then he signed with uh, with Edmonton the other day. I'm, um, I'm surprised he got as much money as he did for waiting that long. I mean, good for him, but it's crazy going from a guy who was being talked about in the non-analytical NHL community as a guy who was arguably one of the top free agent defenseman on the market who was going to command five years and anywhere between 20 and $30 million over the course of that contract. And apparently everyone got smart. I, mean, I don't know. Maybe everyone was sitting there and thinking, man, Dallas doesn't even want this guy. Why should we want this guy? So I don't know. Yeah. It's the fact that matter. The thing is, I think they missed the market. He, I, I don't know what he was asking from for teams from the beginning and things like that. But I think he waited too long, and he should have been looking for a one-year deal from the beginning because we have to remember every single uh, every single team is going to lose a defenseman. Yes. Not every sorry, not every team is going to lose a defenseman. You're going to have a bunch of teams looking for top four defensemen, which Chris Russell is, according to what the market people say in the market about him. Mm-hmm. You're going to have at least. If, it depends on how Vegas decides to draft. If Vegas goes and drafts eight defensemen or nine defensemen, you'll have nine teams looking to fill their defensemen depth. Mm-hmm. 
So everything's going to be shuffled, and it's going to be a very interesting offseason next year where I think Russell should have been looking for a one-year deal from the beginning because he would have had the, the chance to reset everything next, next, next July 1st. Right. And that was, I mean, just the way that everything played out this offseason is everyone's got to have an eye towards next year. But, yeah, it's, I don't know. I think just from, I mean, just for the style of game that he plays, he's not a big dude. He plays that physical shot-blocking role. And the whole argument has always been if you're blocking that many shots, then maybe you're doing something wrong that you can't get the puck out of the zone. But, I mean, just what, for for a defensive guy, you want someone who's a little bigger than that. And I, I've always been a person who's think, who thinks that size is an sort of overrated trait because if you, I mean if you can play hockey you can play hockey I don't care if you're five foot seven 150 pounds or if you're six foot eight and 250 but if you're I mean if you're a guy I mean biologically speaking if you're a guy who wants to play a tough physical game it's a lot harder to do that when you're 511 175 or whatever he is than if you're you know six four 230. Yeah, size size is overrated, but then it's also you also can't completely discount it, right? Because it depending also on what goes position in, you play. it goes goes into matchups too. I think you look at, I think honestly, last year Dallas in the Western Conference playoffs, there was two teams that they, I would think there's two teams that they would not match up well with, and that was St. Louis, who they lost to, mm-hmm. and L.A. Yeah. Two teams that have that over have a ton of girth. Mm-hmm. And would have been able to uh, have a ton of girth, and would have been able to push around some smaller defense. Yeah. And we saw that's that. Just the, and, and we saw that with St. Louis. I mean, David Backus was able to set up residence in front of Dallas's crease for seven games mm-hmm. in that St. Louis series. And then he's speaking of speaking of bad contracts, David Backus. <laughs> man, I love I love David Backus. I used to I used to despise David Backus just because of the way he plays, but I got to talk to him a couple of times when I interned with USA Hockey, and I don't think that there's a nicer dude in the NHL than David Back is. So. Oh, great, great, great person. I I met, I met him during the uh, during the playoffs last year. Great person, really good interview, too. Um, yes, agreed. Just, I, I, and I like that contract for one year. I don't I don't like that don't contract know. with Boston five years from, yeah, from now. That's, he's going to be, uh, he's 100% going to be one of those guys that gets left unprotected as Boston says, Vegas, you know you want him. Come on, you need a captain. Along with Dustin Brown and a handful of other people. But you're, already given, you're already given the C out for Vegas already? Yes. <laughs> well, if they, if they want to hire me to run their team, I'll, I'll be George's assistant. I'll get him his coffee. I don't care. Well, you know, you, you you share the same alma mater. Yeah, I you know what I'm just I'm still personally salty that they waited till ten years after I moved to give them an NHL team. Well, I mean, the ho- hockey was flourished so much there. I mean, the fact that the ECHL team almost tried to build a rink on a roof what, it was like three years ago. Yeah, and you know. I mean, we're kind of getting off topic here from the defenseman discussion. Completely. But, you know, I mean, going to Las Vegas Wrangler games, I mean, they always, for the fact that they played in the Orleans Arena, which is horribly configured, it's a a pain to get to. The ECHL team, the years that I was there, they always did relatively well in terms of attendance. So, I mean, I, I don't not think that hockey can work there. I think it's, I mean, it'll be an interesting thought experiment to see how it plays out they just did not put that arena in a very good area to make it 
make it attractive for locals to go to. It's I mean, it's in a perfect spot if you're going for tourists to go fly in there and see a game or for, you know, people who are getting off work at one of the casinos. But I mean, it's it's just in a bad location to be easy to get to from people who live in Henderson or Summerlin and who got to travel a little bit to get down to be ranked. Well, I, I think I think I think the team in Vegas will work. It's I, I I personally think Vegas is a Vegas is a city where I haven't been there as many times as you've been there. But I think personally, Vegas is a city where whichever major sports franchise went there first, it would succeed. Oh, absolutely. Um, plus the combination of you're never going to have a problem. They're never going to have a problem with ticket sales because a they're going to have people who actually buy the tickets and b. How many casinos have? I wonder how many casinos have actually used somebody else to buy those tickets, where you'll be able to get ticket packages to casinos to say fly into Vegas for a night and we'll get you tickets for the game. Oh, so sure. I, I don't oh, for see, sure. I don't see the team having any problem selling tickets. No, absolutely. And I mean, you're right. It's a it's a market that's been starving for a non minor league sports team, and so I mean, you give them one, and there's 1.7 people, 1.7 million people who live in the Las Vegas metropolitan area. I mean. That's, if I remember, I don't remember if I'm exactly correct on this, but I think that was the largest metropolitan metropolitan market in the United States that didn't have a pro sports team. So I mean, it's a a it's a virtually untapped market. There's, I mean, it. I think it'll do well. I'm excited. I kind of want to move back to Vegas just to go to the games, but. <laughs> well, and so, and so getting us back to our earlier conversation, Stars played their last preseason game in Vegas against. Kings. I wanted to go to that so bad. Just and a bad time of year. With, and with the uh, with that, we saw kind of the end of this, the final last game action for the competition to play out for who is going to fill out this bottom four, the bottom two, sorry, mm-hmm. bottom two defensemen for the stars of this group of four. Where in that game, Patrick Nemeth, who has scored the last goal before he scored in the preseason, before he scored three goals in the preseason this year, was the 2014 Calder Cup Finals, <laughs> clinched the Calder Cup out. Patrick Nemeth has scored in some weird locations. The uh, Calder Cup Final game winner, phrasing, um, the Calder Cup Final game winner in uh, out in St. John's, which is about halfway to Europe in, in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> and, then he, and then he scores twice in the uh, first NHL game at the new, in the first NHL game at the new uh, T-Mobile Arena there. So, but he's he's looked good in training. He's looked good in he's looked good in training camp, and he looked good in the preseason. Now Alexiak is dealing. Alexiak may not be available Thursday because he's dealing that. with a mu- mm-hmm. dealing with a muscle injury. But even you're looking at practice today, you look at this where they could go into seven. Say Alexiak's not available because of injury. Lindell could be the seventh defenseman on, on Thursday night. Right, and that's and it's, it's, my whole thing with this is, you know, I it, time is going to tell with this. But I mean, we don't know yet how much not playing last year stunted the development of both Alexiak and Nemeth. And we're talking about a guy about Nemeth who also missed most of the previous season because of a tendon injury. So, I mean, you just, you have an opportunity to send the guy to the minors without him having to pass through waivers. I just, I personally feel it makes more sense to allow him to play as much as he can and as often as he can, as opposed to, you know, risking another year where you're taking a guy who you expect to one day be a big-time contributor and stunting a year of his growth because you want to keep a defenseman on the roster. That's my now, that's my whole thing. Is especially in this 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 
point of view comes from the fact that everything I've seen so far in the preseason is that both Alexiak and Nemeth have looked very good. And mm-hmm. if they haven't, then, you know, fine, carry eight defensemen. If you believe that Essa Lindell is going to be playing for you every single night, then fine, carry eight defensemen. But my mm-hmm. my point roots in the fact that if you don't, if, if all else is equal and you think that Nemeth, Alexiak, Ben and Lindell are all on the same level. It it just to me would make more sense to have him in the minor leagues and playing. So then that way, someone who really shouldn't be in the press box is sitting in the press box. Well, the the other the other thing about it too is I, the way I look at this weekend is if Stars play Thursday Saturday, I believe this week. I think it's Anaheim Thursday, and I think they're in Colorado on Saturday. If Lindell is a healthy scratch in both those games. Say Lindell sit in the press box both Thursday and Saturday night. Um, why was he not opening the season in the AHL playing in? I believe Texas plays two games this weekend. Mm-hmm. So why was he not? Why was he not in Texas? Why was he, did he not play in Texas? Now two games doesn't make a guy his career, but those are but, the, but for example, those are two games he could have played. Two games he could have played that he didn't because he was watching them. Mm-hmm. Now. If the plan is we'll play him Thursday, we'll he'll sit Thursday, and we'll play Friday, and we'll just see where it goes from there. Fine, I'm I'm, I'm okay to see how that plays out. Uh, the uh, the other thing that kind of shakes every kind of shakes everything out with it too is what does uh, is Lindell actually ready for the speed of the NHL? Which I guess you can't figure that out with, and you can look at preseason games. You can look at preseason games enough, but you can't really judge that until he actually plays in a real NHL game this year. Right. And and frankly, that's I think that's the one thing that's holding him back. Everyone says he's going to be a future top four defenseman, and I think he has that potential. Um, I, I think he has that potential. However, in his three games with Dallas last year, he looked slow. He didn't look ready for the pace. And in the World Cup, the only game he played, he was a healthy scratch. He played for Finland in the World Cup. The only he played in of the three games, he was a healthy scratch in two of them. And the one game he did play against that North America team, and granted, you're not going to find more speed on another. No team in the NHL is going to have as much speed as that North America team. Mm -hmm. But he looked very slow against Team North America. So is he ready for the speed of the NHL? Right, and you're when I think the big talk, one of the big points about the guys going and playing in the World Cup is, you know, it, it, it helps them with getting up to the speed of things because, you know, it's a little bit more intense than a regular preseason game would be. But if you're, you're a guy who's missed almost all of training camp and more than half the preseason to play in the World Cup and you only played in one World Cup game, then you're kind of behind the eight ball on that. So mm-hmm. one, one, it just, I don't know. I, I have, I, I, I don't know why I was surprised when I saw the roster and it had eight defensemen on it. I was half hoping that there would be seven, especially with everything going on at forward, you know. Wouldn't hurt to have an extra body in there unless you didn't think that there was anyone else you would want to keep on the roster, but... Well, and, and all of this could reset, and our point could be, and our point could be, uh, could be moot all of a sudden, and, uh, within, and could be, could be out of, could be thrown out the window in four days where... Say Alex Hemsky's ready to go in game two, and the Stars say, "Okay, now we're going to carry 14 forwards." All of a sudden, they can still send Lindell down. Right. That's so a point. I guess we should consider as well that they didn't have 14 forwards, that healthy forwards that they wanted to keep on the roster, so they're keeping him up here for the first weekend just to see. So, mm-hmm. 
I don't know. We can revisit this in. After yeah, the well, and at, and at forward, there's legitimately only. Uh, and at forward, if we talk about so, when Hemsky's healthy, you have you have a decision to make. You send down Lindell, who's waiver exempt, mm-hmm. or do you send down a forward? And in in all reality, you have four options in my mind of forwards who could be sent down. You have McKenzie, Richie, Crack, Nolan Shore. Shore's the only one that's waiver exempt. Yet I think he's the one who should stay in the NHL since I think he's a better center. I think he's better. At, he's, I think he's a better center than Crack than, than Cracknell is. I think Cracknell should mm-hmm. be in the lineup because I think Cracknell's a good fourth line winger. Mm-hmm. Um, so, all, so you start looking at a waiver decision there. And now I don't think I think a guy like Curtis McKenzie, who I think is a good player, I do think a guy like Curtis McKenzie clears waivers. Yeah, I don't think there's any issue with Curtis McKenzie clearing waivers. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's an issue with with Cracknell clearing waivers. I do think there's a potential issue with Richie clearing waivers just from what teams see in the potential he has. Right, because we were talking before, uh, well, you mentioned it earlier, Team Upokalin getting claimed today. I don't necessarily know that though these are two guys that are necessarily on the same level. But, I mean, if you're, you're looking at a guy like Team Upokalin and getting claimed solely on the potential that he can offer, there's going to be a team out there who's hungry for you know, who's young, who's not going to do much this year, who's hungry for a guy who has top six forward potential who probably takes a flyer on Brett Ritchie. Mm-hmm. Oh, and especially with, especially if you're a team that, if you've done your homework and you've done your, look, I mean, there are, there's a certain, and you can tell, and you can tell when watching a guy in practice or watching him in a scrimmage or anything like that, um, where a guy just has that, Heavy pro shot, right? Mm-hmm. Where, where it, it's it's that release where it's it snaps off the stick when it's when when it goes in the net. You you can hear it pop the net. You can hear it when it misses. It hits the glass. You hear that. There's only so many guys that can shoot a puck like that, and Brett Ritchie can shoot a puck like that. That's mm-hmm. something that, and that's arguably the reason Polkinen was was claimed by Minnesota today. Where he's a guy in, in the AHL. He's a 30-goal scorer in the AHL because of that shot. Mm-hmm. Now, his biggest poking in, and all of a sudden we're getting off, uh, we're, we're going <laughs> off on a tangent even. The only reason he's, only reason that Detroit Detroit decided to let him go through waivers and try and put him through waivers is the fact where he hasn't been able to find a way to create that space to actually use that shot in right. the NHL. And, and the fact that Ken Holland has mismanaged that forward situation in such an unfortunate way. Well, it's, but that's it's another. That's a conversation for another day. It's interesting. The interesting thing, the interesting thing I would point I was thinking about the other day with Ken Holland gets a lot of credit for the Ken Holland line of uh, GMs. If you look at well, the guys who have come from his his Ken Holland tree, where Jim Nill's done a good job of turning of uh, Jim Nill's done a good job of turning Dallas from a from a team that was not a playoff team to a team that won the Western Conference regular mm-hmm. season title last year too. Eiserman's done a really good job of not only has Eiserman done a really good job of creating the Tampa Bay team that uh, that has played for the Cup Final. Just look at what he's been able to do in the bargaining room. He's a, just a being witchcraft able to, negotiator. Well, that's and that and that's the thing actually. So now tangent number like fifty-five of this of this podcast. That's the thing where everyone when everyone you see all the people who everyone talks about oh. Somebody thinks, everyone thinks somebody is going to be able, a lot of Dallas fans think that they'll throw out a name here or there and think that they can trade them for Ben Bishop. 
Mm-hmm. If you've looked at Steve Eisenman's track record and how he's dealt with things in the past, in the, over the past, from the Jonathan Druin situation to the Stan Coast contract to uh, who they signed, they signed someone today. Kucherov. Uh, who did they sign today? Kucherov. Yeah, Kucherov. They signed Kucherov today. Where that then Bishop situation, he's going to find a way to I mean, just all track record, but he's not going to just, it's not going to be someone saying, oh, yeah, here's a prospect and a player. Mm-hmm. There's going to be somebody who's going to be, he, he's going to play that out, and it's going to be a patient approach. And so that's the biggest thing about everyone says, oh, Tampa Bay's going to trade that Bishop to Dallas. Well, I, ju- I don't see, I mean, there's no fees, I mean, unless Dallas is retaining half of Miami or Letton and Sally salary for the duration of their contract. There's, I mean, there's no way that that's feasibly possible right now. Because, I mean, are you going to bury one of these guys in the minor leagues? You're sure is hell not going to do that. And, I mean, it's, I, there's no, this goes back to what a lot of people were saying in the offseason, is right now, there's no, as long as they get everyone signed, which I believe now they have all of their RFA signed and they're still under the salary cap, there's yeah. no reason for them to trade Ben Bishop right now. You go into no, the I mean, season with him, you go in with him with Vasilevsky, and you you know, you know just let it play out. And if you get to the trade deadline and Vasilevsky's yeah. your number one guy, then you trade Ben Bishop. On the flip side, though, too, and this is, this is the other thing as well, where if you're a Tampa Bay fan and, and you can carry those, both those goalies into the playoffs and you win a Stanley Cup and lose one in the expansion draft, are you unhappy? We'll see... They're not going to lose one in the expansion yeah. draft because Ben Bishop's a UFA next summer, so they're not going to protect him. And Vegas isn't yeah, going to select a guy who's a pending UFA in case he doesn't want to sign there. Well, exactly. So why? It's, it's, there's all of the thing where is he, he's going to be traded, he's going to be traded, he's going to be traded. But even if he walks for nothing, even if he walks for nothing from Tampa Bay, if, if they win a Stanley Cup, is it is Oh, yeah, 100%. And, and, and so it's – I mean, I know I'm, I know I'm – I'm, I'm giving out postseason hopes way too early right now. It's the season starts in 24 hours. But, <laughs> so I mean, so okay. I think last thing, last thing for us to wrap this up, and it's everyone's favorite topic: the two goalie system. You know, it worked for the regular season last year, and I don't know. Maybe you get to the point that. These guys, I mean, it's their second year in the system. They're a lot more comfortable with how it works out. And these are both goalies who've had success in the past. And, I mean, granted, they're both on the wrong side of 30. They both looked borderline abysmal at times in the playoffs last year. So, I mean, it is what it is. There's nothing that's really going to change about it. So, I mean, it's almost like a... a, uh, apathetic acceptance of it at this point because I don't really know what else that there's no I mean there's no point in wasting energy being upset or sad about it I think the bigger concern for Dallas and it's something that maybe they have right now and I'd like to think they do because I think it's a great story if they do I think the bigger concern for Dallas right now is if you take a look at one thing that a lot of people forget about with Pittsburgh last year, so they want Pittsburgh won a Stanley Cup, mm-hmm. and everyone there was the Mark Andre Fleury, Matt Murray, uh, and Mark Andre Fleury, Matt Murray uh, debate, and everything like that. And so you have that. Then, but do you remember who won the first game of the playoffs for Pittsburgh? Wasn't it Zatkov? 
It's Jeff Zakoff. Yeah. So, Pittsburgh, I mean, the fact of the matter is, Dallas doesn't, and I'm not saying it comes down to this. I think the biggest, like, the, the two-goalie system will play itself out. It'll work or it won't. But, so they say something happens. Last year, they certainly didn't. Maybe, maybe they have it this year, which would be a great story. If, if Maxime Lagasse is that guy and he's really good in the preseason, it's a great story, and they have that, and that answer is good, great. But if there's an injury, say one of these goalies got hurt for a month, three weeks. Mm-hmm. If that happened last year, the Stars didn't have another guy they trusted to play in an NHL game. No. And, maybe, and hopefully they do now. Hopefully they do with Maxime Lagasse just because I think it's a great story. He's a guy who was – before the season started, he didn't even make it into the AHL team program last year. <laughs> and then he ended up being having one of the best save percentages of rookies in the AHL. So I think the bigger concern for, for if you're looking at Dallas's goaltending, one, there's two goal, Dallas goaltending stories to watch this year. One is how does the two-goalie system hold up? up? And I, I think it'll work well enough in the regular season. The question is, can one of them grab the, uh, can one of them grab that role in the playoffs? And the second thing is, can their entire system can their entire system flush out and find that they have somebody who can be a starting goalie in the NHL in two or three years? Right, and that's something we talk about in another episode because that could take forever. Yeah, that's you know it was you go back to the 2010 or 11 draft, whichever it was they selected Jack Campbell, and for the longest time everyone assumed that he was eventually going to get it figured out and that he would be the guy who would one day step up and be the guy. Well, he's not there anymore, and. You know, you're looking at Max Lagasse and Destroyers, who was second or third round pick, I don't remember. So, I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's a tough situation after those two guys. And I will say, I'll say, I'll make one defense, of two def- two def- defensive points in terms of the, of the goalie sport. I feel like in the offseason, a lot of people wanted to see one of these guys bought out solely because they wanted Ben Bishop. And I think, mm-hmm. I think, hopefully, we can put this to rest right here, right now on this podcast. Ben Bishop's not coming. Oh. If Ben Bishop's coming, then it's not going to happen. It would. It, it's not going to happen. We're, I'm not going to say it wouldn't happen until it's not going to happen. Ben Bishop is not coming. But I won't. I mean, it, it's something that I think I would. I don't want to say 100 percent certainty because I would have never said that the Stars would have been able to trade, make a. Jim Nill would be able to make the trade for Sagan like he did. True. And right. There's now, no, it's I not a. I want. I want. I, but in in all likelihood, I I agree with you. I agree with you. There's just because, too much. I, you're right. You can never say never, but it's just too much has to happen for that to become a become a possibility. And I just don't see a way that that can happen at this point. Well, on that note. But then, too, Until next time. One, more po- one more point in defense. I remember what my second point was. Is you yeah. mentioned the condensed schedule. And there's going to be a lot of times this year where you're going to need two goaltenders that you can rely on. And you can debate the reliability of Antini Emi and Kari Lennon all you want. And you're not wrong for doing so. But there is, it, there is something to say for having two guys that you can trust, quote-unquote, to be a number one goaltender in a year where you're going to have a lot of back-to-backs or three games in four or five nights that, you know, some teams don't have this year. So perhaps that's something that plays into the Stars' advantage. But you almost wonder if it's something that by the time March comes around that you got to maybe, you know, maybe Lindy Ruff would do this last year in hindsight with the benefit of that. 
once you get to the last month of the regular season, trying to find one guy to zero in on so you're not rotating guys in the playoffs. Yeah, I, I think that kind of gets to the point, too, where you try to look at the point where you obviously want both available for the playoffs, but I think ideally is you want one to win that job to be, be the playoff guy. Right. Um, now, that's something that's a long ways away, and I'm sure we'll discuss it on future issues of the podcast. Yes. This was fun. Please tune in next time where we will have more uh, hot stars opinions, I guess. Stars hot takes. That's what we'll change this to. Stars hot takes. <laughs> Serving them up hot. With that, everyone have a great week.